Coming up on this episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. You know, people work harder when people value them. But when people don't feel valued, they are already looking for their next job. They are, you know, I like to call it the people that do the eight and skate, right? They do the eight hours and they get them out of there. You know, the people that have their cars started before the shift is over. That is usually a telltale sign that they don't feel valued. And so I'm on this journey on inclusive leadership because, you know, people talk a lot about there's no people that want to work today. And I, I beg to differ that we need to create a culture where we have leaders who are able to sustain the workforce simply because they know how to include them, how they are able to make them feel valued. And that can go even to the academic world. That can go into teaching. You know, a teacher that makes every student feel valued and feel included is going to get better results. And that means that you may have to work with them intricately and differently. This episode is brought to you by SNA Audio and Video. With over five years experience in the audiovisual industry, SNA Audio and Video is your industry expert in Paulsboro. We pride ourselves on our extreme professionalism and attention to detail. Our customer service guarantee will assure you we will not leave your property until you are completely satisfied with our work. As a family-owned and operated business, you can trust that we will treat your home as we would treat our own. Give us a call today and we look forward to working with you. We offer TV mounting, surround sound systems, smart home product instructions, security camera systems and installation, ceiling fan installations, and more. Servicing areas in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Delaware. To SNA Audio and Video, call us at 856-319-6658 or 856-542-8358. This is the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, hosted by Dr. Demiso A. Josie. All right, welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Demiso A. Josie, and this is season number eight. Thanks for rocking with us if you've been since season one, um, and then now we're in season eight. Um, then, you know, it's the start of a new school year. Um, obviously, I like to come out with a new season around that time and then also in the spring. Um, we have some guests lined up for you this particular season that are bringing you some useful information. If you're a first time listener, welcome. Um, we are here at the Empowerment Perspective Group. It's all about bringing you useful information and we get our guests on here what we call quote unquote teachers. Not necessarily in a traditional sense, but um, anyone that has some useful information that might be helpful to you. Um, this brother I got on today, um, actually his father was on, I believe it was season two, um, I don't know, season three, uh, when I had uh, Mr. Uh, Kareem Petty Spence was on with me and um, his dad had uh, was uh, fortunate enough to come on and bless us with his present. Now we got a son in the building um, we're going to be talking about leadership, more importantly, inclusive leadership. So this is all about um, leaders out there. So, Mr. Raglan, how you doing out there, sir? Listen, good, 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 good. All is well. And it's so funny because uh, I do remember when you had my father on the podcast a couple of years ago. And so I made it. I yeah. finally made it. You finally made it. My mom, I made it. <laughs> no, I, got it. I got it. And I, it didn't hit me actually until today. And I was like, I knew obviously who your father was and that you guys obviously were related. I said, like, wait a minute. I had him on the podcast earlier. So yeah, yeah for sure. So we got, we got to outdo his numbers for sure. Yeah, <laughs> man. We got to outdo those numbers. For sure, for sure. So before we actually get into this um, and what you do and what you're on here, man, I know you got young kids. I know school's 
starting for you and everything. Just talk about that experience as a father and, and, and you know, uh, you're nervous, nervous and all yeah. that. Like, what's going on with that? Well, you know, interesting enough, um, number one, I'm just all about at the moment enjoying every second, you know, because I can't believe my oldest is in kindergarten. I remember holding her in the hospital almost five years ago, almost six years ago, actually. And so, you know, now that I'm seeing that I have three kids, right, I have a son, who's my youngest, who's three, and my middle child, Morgan, my daughter, and then uh, my oldest, Mariah. And so I'm just trying to enjoy uh, the time with them. With that being said, I am blessed, though. Uh, you mentioned nervousness. I am not nervous at all. I'm going to tell you why. Because I am one of the fortunate parents where your wife is the school counselor of the school yeah, that okay. kids go to. Yeah. And so to me, I'm like, it's a family affair. Okay, uh, so yeah. I, you know, I don't worry about different things, uh, you know, because she does an amazing job with them and, you know, her being in education herself uh, and, you know, her, and I think also her calmness, because that's what she's a trained professional to do, so, yeah, uh, keeps yeah. me calm. But I will tell you, there are times where, you know, I, I do like to pry a little bit, even though they're in kindergarten and preschool, uh, particularly with my oldest, my two youngest, man, they're a little rough. So I, I almost kind of like pry the teachers to see if they yeah. do anything wrong. But no, it's it's a blessing. I'm just trying to enjoy every second of it. Yeah, man, that's it. And, uh, you know, me being a father myself and my kids and everybody takes that back to school pictures and you see the progression of it. And I'm like, I got two middle schoolers. One's about to go to high school. Like, how'd that happen? But yeah. reflecting back on it, though, man, every single moment is very precious, man. And, it's, and yeah. I enjoy every moment, you know. And then I look back and I'm like, I miss those days, but I'm enjoying this right now, too. So even with the teenage attitudes and all that stuff, yep. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful thing. So um, no doubt, no doubt. So I want to talk about um, a little bit about why you are doing what you're doing. And in, um, in terms of this message that you're sending out with uh, leadership and inclusive leadership. So what, what's the why behind what you're, what you're doing? You know, I, I think... So I'll start with a stat. One of my colleagues and friends in Pope Consulting based out of Ohio shared a stat with me about two years ago. And the stat was that someone will give you 57% more effort when they feel valued. Mm. And I think about that. So I'll, I'll take it to an analogy. When I was in eighth grade, I played basketball. Now, if you see me in person, I'm not that tall. So you may second guess if I really <laughs> played basketball or not. But I had this coach. He was a military veteran. And we were, see, I was accustomed to playing sports and I was accustomed to the sports whistle and the coach, when a coach blew the whistle, that mm -hmm. meant it was time to run. And so I had a basketball coach and when he would blow the whistle, we would run. But the difference was with him, he would run with us. And we didn't know why we were confused. You know, we, you know, maybe after a practice or two, we begin to say, you know, Mr. Conowitz, and that was his name, you know, why are you running with us? You're the coach. And he said, I would never ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. And so that inherently made me want to work harder, mm -hmm. right? When I had someone who valued me, someone who was including themselves in the, the running process, made me feel and made me trust that this person was going to lead me and I wanted to get extra effort. And it's the same thing if you look at it from the HR side, right? right. When we look at that and we compare it to retention and the great resignation and to inclusive workspaces, you know, people work harder when people value them. But when people don't feel valued, they are already looking for their next job. They are, you know, I like to call it the people that do the eight and skate, right? They mm -hmm. do their eight hours and they get up out of there. Mm -hmm. You know, the people that have their car started before the shift is over, that is usually a telltale sign that they don't feel valued. And so I'm on this journey on inclusive leadership because, you know, people talk a lot about 
about there's no people that want to work today. And mm -hmm. I, I beg to differ that we need to create a culture where we have leaders who are able to sustain the workforce simply because they know how to include them, how they are able to make them feel valued. And that can go even to the academic world. That can go into teaching. You mm -hmm. know, a teacher that makes every student feel valued and feel included is going to get better results. And that means that you may have to work with them intricately and differently. Right, right. There's a couple of things that you said that kind of resonated with me, and I'm going to start with the, the latter. Um, and, and when you talked about the leader was like, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't do. And I'm the type of person, the type of leader, like I'm obviously in the educational setting and then students, I go in a cafeteria and I'll sweep up the cafeteria and stuff like that. And the students are like, are you a janitor? Like, I thought you was assistant principal. And I, I had to explain to also some of my staff, I'm like, I treat this space like if my kids were in Right. Would I want my kids to eat in a dirty cafeteria? No, it's nothing beyond, you know, it's not beneath me to sit there and swipe, you know, wipe some stuff up. But in doing that, setting that example, now staff members understand where I'm coming from. Now, now people are picking up trash and stuff. So leading by example is, is, a, is a true, is a key thing, but also finding that thing that is the reason why you're doing that, right? I use my kids all the time in educational settings and I would want them to, to experience something, um, be, you know, that's great. The other piece of it is talking about adding value. You know, I was actually speaking to a young lady about this today, was trying to find her way within this organization. And I said, this particular organization, what good leaders sometimes do, well, they'll open a door for you, right, to explore. And it's your job to kind of find out what value you can bring to that organization, right? So um, you can, you know, I, I started out really little. I got coached at uh, Rowan University, and I was like, I'm gonna pull out coach's chair during timeouts. Nobody else is doing that, right? So then boom, bring out coach's chair. So I just started looking out for these little uh, opportunities to prove my value, right? In an educational setting, when I first got in, I was a coach in multiple sports. So I, my mentality was, if you're gonna fire me, now you gotta find a new head basketball coach, a new soccer coach, and like value, um, you know, I try to expand those things. So um, let's just dive into like, how do, can leaders create that value other than the relationship peaks? Yeah, I, I think, again, it's leading by example. I think it's opening up the vulnerability of someone's humanity. I think, you know, I had a leader one time and she said this to me and she didn't tell me she was a great leader, but this is what she said that made me know that I felt valued. So um, I remember her saying to me, Christian, I will fire you if I ever see you miss a soccer game or recital anything that has to do with your kids, because that is more important than this job. And because she said that, I always knew how to reciprocate that same functionality of making sure people around me knew that what I needed of them was not more important than the things that they value the most. And so I think the first thing is taking inventory of what people value. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the first thing. I think, you know, even in you know, a good teacher, and I, I'm thinking about all the teachers that are coming to my head, they knew how to get to me because they knew what I liked. They knew what I was interested in. And so, you know, I was that kid in middle school. You could, you didn't have to light a fire under me. I was the kid you had to probably had to cool off because I had all these ideas and I had all these things I wanted to do. And I, I just, but my teachers found ways to infuse what I enjoyed into the lessons and, and, you know, including me. And so again, naturally I love coming to school because I felt welcome. I felt I could be my authentic self. Mm -hmm. And so that's, when it comes down to it. And I think how you, and I think the other piece too, on the flip side is how do you find your value, right? How do you find the things that you value? Mm -hmm. I think that's a great point. And number one, you align it with your passion. You know, I remember in high school, I, um, you, you probably appreciate this. So every year there's state testing 
And the seniors in high school don't have to take a state test because, you know, you're getting ready to leave. And so I never forget, you know, going to my principal and saying, listen, I'm going to college next year. I'm going to Penn State. I want to be a political science major. I don't want to sit here in the gym and play basketball and volleyball for four days until the kids, to the, the juniors and the sophomores and the freshmen are finished taking the test. So I said, do you mind if I create my own internship? And they said, absolutely. So I went to the city of Pleasantville and I went to Mayor Ralph Peterson, um, who has since passed away. But I went to Mayor Ralph Peterson and Linda Payton to the prosecutor and to the business administrator. And I said, I have four days. Can I sit with one of you for a day, eight to four? And they did not hesitate to say yes. And I remember sitting with these people and I remember finding, you know, what I was good at. I remember, like you said, you know, um, I, I couldn't be a VA or I couldn't be a judge, but I knew how to say, I can make those papers neat for you. Or I can, let me uh, put the, the, the stapler together. You know, I was just doing all these different things. And to the point where those people built relationships with me and checked in on me and said, listen, how can I help you and assist you? So I think the first thing about value is you got to understand what you value about yourself Absolutely. and then act on it. So other people can recognize it. Right, right, right. And I think you also hit something on the head for those who want to be into leadership roles is you've got to get into the spaces with these leaders, right? You got to find that in, whether it's, you know, making sure the papers are neat, whether it's pulling out a chair for somebody, you want to be in the spaces where these conversations take place so that you can learn and you can start to, you know, master your craft and also networking, you know, it was just a huge thing that I wish I would have learned growing up. <laughs> I didn't learn it, learn it too much later, but, um, you know, definitely um, doing those things. You also touched on, um, you know, leadership and, and, and creating a basically a climate and a culture in an organization, right? And um, and getting your employees and, and people that work with you um, to, to trust in you. And one of the things that I do in my um, school is I, I created an adventure club where the where the teachers will get together once a month and we'll do something out of the ordinary off time, you know what I mean? Whether it's bowling, axe throwing, canoeing, you can bring your family too. It's also a family affair too. But I think it's important for them to see you as human beings, right? And then develop yeah. those relationships. So when it's time to have these difficult conversations, it's a little bit easier, right? So Absolutely. what are some tips and, and things that you can give aspiring leaders in terms of creating a positive and healthy and inclusive culture? So I think that's, I want to go back to what you said about creating that space. Um, I struggle with this right now. I am a human resources professional of 11 years. You know, I'm currently in a, in a hospital executive role, but my start was in human resources. And the number one frustrating thing for me is to come across people who are sound academically on paper, but don't know how to do the work ahead of time mm -hmm. to put the themselves in a space. And so there are people who are walking around with an entitlement of, I am owed this because I did this. And I have to tell people, newsflash, people are coming out with degrees like nothing. Mm -hmm. Degrees are so accessible now. We got online learning. We have people that are paying jobs, paying 100% up front. And so getting the degree is, and I mean, I don't want to belittle the fact that getting a bachelor's degree is not easy. It is hard. You know, there are a lot of sleepless nights. There are times <laughs> where you got to, you know, figure out how you're going to write things. But with that being said, there's more access, uh, fair access to higher education, which is a great thing, but it also means that now the competition is now level. Mm -hmm. And so what are you doing outside of that degree that's going to set you apart? And so I have this conversation with the workforce all the time where I have to almost beg them. I say, please stop thinking that you're going to get promoted because you just do things between eight and four. Go above and beyond you know, create your own opportunities, go to that leader and say, listen, I know that, you know, this is not my role description, but I'm willing to help and assist 
you know, I'm willing to learn. And so I think, you know, that's a very important part that I wanted to go back and say, because, you know, you are exactly right. We have to create this culture of, you know, not doing enough just to get by. Right. I think that's coming back into style because Mm -hmm. how competitive it is out there. But to create a culture of inclusion, you know, number one, you have to do your own self-assessment. You have to make sure that your blind spots, your own blind spots are being assessed. Before you tell someone else how to create an inclusive culture, you need to understand where are your avenues of blind spots. And I think that's a big one. You know, we also talk about, you know, doing your own observation of your leadership skills through evaluations, right? I think the other piece is cultural competency, the ability to communicate. You don't know how many leaders fail miserably because they want to create an inclusive culture, but they don't know how to talk to people. (laughs) They they don't know. And not just talk to people. You don't know how to meet people at their greatest point. That's why I think kindergarten teachers are the best example of someone who can teach and uh, develop inclusive leadership principles because Mm -hmm. kindergartners, and I'm looking at my own daughter, they all, and her whole class has all different personalities. But when I look at her teacher, the teacher finds a way to make sure that everyone feels well, everyone is talked to correctly and not, not to break their spirit. And it's the same thing in leadership. You know, my leader, one of my leaders used to say, we're still the same people that we were in kindergarten. We just have a driver's license. And so that's the difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think the artistry of leadership, though, is, is, is to be able to be fluid, right? So when you're talking about cultural competency, that's what you're basically, one, understanding your biases and your shortcomings and understanding where you are individually, but also being able to have conversations and relate to different people and being fluid. And I try to break it down. Mm-hmm take cultural piece out of it and say, listen, there's different type of people that respond differently. This comes from me playing football. As a quarterback, I might be able to yell at somebody and that motivates them. The other person yeah. has to pull to the side and say such and such, but you have to have these conversations and to be able to become a student of your students, like I say, but the students of your employees to be able to be culturally competent and you know be open-minded enough to be able to have these discussions and then be um, strong enough to admit the fact that I don't understand it. You know, I've never been exposed to it. I don't understand it. I want to relate to it. Because in that, I'm trying to find your strengths. At the end of the day, we have a, a big goal, right? You know, and a mission that we're trying to accomplish. And my job as a leader is to put us in the best, put you and us in the best situation to accomplish that, right? So I need to do this the studying piece in order for us to make that happen. So I think that's that's a huge piece. And, and, and I think today's climate, everyone's scared of this cultural competence idea. So let's just, let's just break that down. What does that actually mean? I mean you know, to the people. Yeah, it's so funny because cultural competence is simply the probably the lessons that we learned as children treat others with respect um, and also don't assume about people, right? And so, you know, I was just giving this lesson today to some of our providers and nurses staff today that cultural competency is the ability to have complex and different conversations um, with you humbling yourself to learn. You know, it's the ability to humble yourself and acknowledge that you don't know everything. So, for example, in the hospital setting, I'll use that as an example. If I am a doctor and I am, you know, clearly I'm an African-American man. I may look Cuban or Dominican on this camera, but I'm an (laughs) African-American man. And I have a patient in front of me who is not African-American and I'm beginning to notice that they do things differently than what I'm accustomed to doing because of culture. My job is not to uh, hold that against them or punish them or 
even mitigate what they're doing. My job is to understand and ask questions and say, why are you doing this? And maybe I'll find a solution in the middle. So cultural competency is the ability to have false cultural conversations um, and culture, not just meaning race and ethnicity and religion and LGBTQ plus, it means whatever makes us different, whatever mm-hmm. makes us various in our, our different structures of life. And so that cultural competency says, I am competent and, and able to have a conversation with you without making you feel less than and mm-hmm. making sure that my bias has been checked uh, to the side. Right, right, right. And, and I would encourage anyone that's brave enough to, to go through this, this uh, process is to not look at someone else's, let's say, uh, cultural differences as a negative, right? And you might misunderstand it. So for example, um, the African-American community, we do call and response all the time. We're, mm-hmm. we're loud people sometimes, right? And, and, and a lot of times when I'm in these spaces, they think that these people are angry. They think that these yeah. people are being disrespectful, but that's part of the culture, right? You know what I'm saying? And I think one of the companies that people are interested in to learn from is Disney. If you go to Disneyland, right, there's a, they, they study this stuff. So for example, do you ever notice that they're always pointing like this? They don't point with the finger because it's offensive to certain cultures, right? So they study these, uh, you know, the, the, the cultures and their customers that come in through there. So any organization yeah. leader in there um, and, and, and one, the people that are working with any organization is to really figure out, you know, the cultural climate of the, that organization and, and really study it because it's going to be super helpful. Yeah. And it helps you break down those barriers. It's definitely... um... Yeah, I think also you have... And there's strength in that, right? I think our job shouldn't be to figure out what makes us different. Our job should be figuring out what how we can use our differences as strengths. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'll use this analogy, you know, I love the Power Rangers, right? You know, I always loved the Power Rangers as a kid, you know, and um, one of my greatest DEI lessons comes from the Power Rangers in that in the beginning of every episode, the individual Power Rangers were able to handedly handle their enemies, but they always came to a point where they had a bigger enemy and they had to bring those unique differences to the Megazord, right? They had to create that mechanism, this bigger entity that was able to take out a bigger enemy. And so my point in saying that is it's not enough for us just to identify that what makes us different. Now inclusion says, I'm going to take what makes us different and put it together so that we can create bigger entities. And I think the world today spends too much time trying to identify and silo what makes us different rather than saying, hey, we can come together and work together. And so it's it's to your point, it's that you have to take the time to do self-reflection and do that observation and really with conviction say that I want to be inclusive today. So that's that's a good point. I want to flip to the other side for the because I've run across a lot of people um, in my space who um, organizations may ask them to do diversity and inclusion training, cultural competency training, and I know you deal with that a lot. Um, and and I know that every audience isn't necessarily receptive to to maybe that that concept. Um, explain your experiences and maybe give a, a you know a tip. I, <laughs> I have had no negative experience, and I'm gonna tell you why. Because I make, I make it my business because I know how somewhat polarizing it can be when someone brings in a diversity, equity, and inclusion person. Mm-hmm. I already know what people are thinking. I already know they're expecting either a black male or black woman or uh, someone of different uh, cultural background to lead this discussion. And the first thing I do is simply level set that comment right there. I said, listen, 
I start every DEI lesson with, I already know what you're thinking. I already know <laughs> what this is about. Yeah. Let's have some fun now. And what yeah. I do is I find little things that we all can relate to that will allow people to break down those barriers that they can listen. So I just did a, a training for a city government uh, entity a couple of weeks ago. And this woman at the end told me, I just want to thank you because I did come into this as like, I don't want to do this. Um, I don't got time for this. But the way you broke this down and made me feel a part of the conversation, I could not stop listening. And I'm not saying that as self-aggrandizement to myself, but I'm saying that we have a lot of DEI practitioners who are making a lot of money just to tell you how different you are, just mm -hmm. to talk about microaggressions, just to talk about, you know, um, you know, white privilege and all these different hot topic issues that we talk about, which mm -hmm. are very much great topics. But we need people who are willing to be vulnerable and say, yes, we all make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I tell this story all the time. And, you know, people love this story. But I tell the story about how uh, when I was in college, my freshman year, I had a white roommate. He was from Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania. And him and I are still good friends to this day. But he's from Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania. I don't know. It doesn't look like what it sounds like, just for the record. Just right. so everybody knows. Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania does not look like what it sounds like. I'm from the Jersey Shore. And so one day we're lifting and we're in the gym. And my parents have overstocked me with... Uh, ramen noodles and i am not someone who likes ramen noodles but here's the kicker he comes home one day and says he says bro you're gonna eat that ramen now the kicker is i never called it ramen a day in my life uh, i never knew that's what it was called right i used to always call it oodles and noodles, oodles and noodles yeah <laughs> so, so he's having a conversation with me and i'm getting annoyed because i don't know what he's talking about and then he points to it i'm like oh my oodles and noodles and he's looking at me like you're a grown man why would you ever say oodles and noodles until my RA comes in and says, you know, you're fighting over the same thing. And I said to the people, this is what's happening right now. We are too busy with focusing on our differences instead of the fact that we actually are talking about the same thing, but we call it something different. Mm -hmm. And so I, I say that to say, when you ask me, you know, how is it when I go in and train people, I find real life things that we can all relate to. And I've been blessed that most of my life experiences transcends many people. And so if, if I don't get them on the oodles and noodles, sometimes I get them on the Power Rangers. Okay. If I don't get them on the Power Rangers, I get them on being a Penn Stater. Um, if I sometimes they don't, I talk about my military stories of how I wanted to go in the military. So yeah. I find little pockets of things that I know will appeal to certain people to get them to trust me so that then we can have a conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I kind of do the similar thing. I did, one of my hot topics that I talk about is hip hop 101, how to reach and teach today's hip hop generation. So I'm basically using hip hop as the example of how you can be cultural competent. So remove yep. the, because hip hop transcends all the races, you know, yep. the, the, everyone's a part of that. But I can now yep. remove that stigma of race. And now we can break down, here's the differences, here's the perceptions, and this is where your misunderstandings are, blah, 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 blah. Um, another trick is I use their own personal experiences, right? So yeah. everybody has prejudices against them and they, they felt it in some shape. Yep. So it becomes non-threatening where it's like, well, as a, this type of a person, like what do people say about your culture and what you, you know, the assumptions about your your life? So I get them to do a lot of self-reflection and then kind of take them through that, that journey. Because when it becomes real to them and they can actually feel it, you know what I mean? And they can understand it a little, a little bit better. But, um, you know, removing that, stigma of race and, and finding that common ground, I think is a huge, yeah. huge and, and don't get me wrong, there is a need, there is a necessary conversation that needs to be had around race. But if I can't, if you can't trust me to have a basic conversation with me, 
and with you without making you feel uncomfortable, why would you listen to me when it's time to talk about the hard topics? Real. Yep, absolutely, absolutely, definitely. Well, I guess we can talk about this all night long, but I definitely <laughs> want to transition into um, some other things um, that, that's going out there. But before I do that, um, those of you who want to get into any leadership role, I guess, um, what would your recommendation be if there's, you know, other than the networking piece, like some tangible things that they can start working on right now, or maybe if there's a new leader right now and they're fresh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are fortunate we live in a time where there's so many different certificate programs out there. And so there are a lot of great certificate programs that allow you to sharpen your leadership skills, whether it's DEI, whether it's finance, whether it's human resources, find something that adds a little bit more value to your leadership and gives you more academic insight. The other thing is, is identify what you want to be in 10 years. This is a very big one, you know, and I'm a big believer in, in you know, forecasting you know, what you would like to do. And so the one thing I tell people, especially young leaders, is identify what you would like to look like in 10 years and then go find the person in real time who's doing it. And then you connect with them, that networking piece, right? The other thing is too, don't stop learning. Don't stop your academic journey. If it's a PhD, if it's a master's degree, and it's not about you spending money to get you know credentials for your resume, but now we're living in an age where things are shifting and thoughts are shifting and critical thinking is shifting. And you want to make sure that your mind is sharpened on how to think critically, because I'll give you an example. We know that today's workforce, 80% of today's workforce, that's the people that we need to hire tomorrow, are not work. They want to work for organizations that value social corporate responsibility, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So if you are a leader that does not know those things, you are more likely not going to attract the top talent. And so leaders know how to attract talent. That's the other thing. You can't be the only person doing the job as a leader. You got to also have that skill set that attracts people that want to work for you. And that's going to come through sharpening your academic, your critical thinking, and your social skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have a saying, I've read this, I stole this from somebody that it's not about getting the, just about getting the right people on a bus, but also making sure that they're in the right seat. So <laughs> understand, understanding that yeah. uh, is important too. So we want to switch gears real quick. And um, I have a segment called the Teacher's Lounge. And if you're new to the show, the Teacher's Lounge in the real world is a place where teachers go, they gossip, they eat other people's lunch, and you know they kind of <laughs> let their hair down a little bit. So uh, we're in this part of the show, we like that play a game called This or That, where I'll ask you a question to pick between one, or one thing or other, and you can kind of give a reason to why. So I'm going to make it real simple for you right off of the bat. You're a Penn State guy. I already know the answer to this, but I just want to hear you talk trash. Penn State <laughs> or Ohio State? Oh, my goodness. Why'd you do it? Penn State. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Ohio State. You know what? I, I don't want to change the question. But if you mention another school, uh, which will remain nameless. With the letter uh, M? With, huh? With the letter M? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not even going to bring, you brought up Ohio State, so I'll stick with that. But Ohio State, man, no, don't get me wrong, I love Ohio State, they're a good fan base, but they just think they own us in football and everything else. I mean, even student government, they talk about how their student senate is better. I mean, it's just one of those things, and they're so close. So I had the fortunate opportunity to go to Ohio State for a Big Ten conference. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I was fortunate to be elected the student body president of Penn State. Uh, in 2010. I was uh, one of the first African-Americans to do it. 
And um, that opened up so many opportunities. But one of the opportunities were every semester we went to a different Big Ten school and we had, you know, all 11 presidents would come together and we would chat and talk, hang out. And Ohio State hosted us this one time I was there and a beautiful campus. But when you get there, they just make it seem as if they are the best thing ever. And so that's why I had to hold off my any type of judgment on that. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. We're going to switch over to music real quick. Uh, Michael Jackson or Prince? Michael Jackson, for sure. Mm. <laughs> now, you know, my wife is a Prince fan, as you see my son here. But my <laughs> wife is a Prince fan. And, um, you know, I must have watched Purple Rain 20,000 times since I've gotten married. But Michael Jackson, I was just listening to him the other day. And I was telling my wife, his genius lyrically, as well as musically, uh, and as well as, uh, chore you know, choreographically, you know, is amazing. Mm -hmm. I got you. I got you. Last question here. Loyalty or respect? Ooh, loyalty or respect? Well, I feel like if you respect someone, loyalty would come naturally. Um, but that could be, uh, someone can go the other way with that. But I'm going to take respect. I'd rather have respect. You can okay. always find loyalty, you know, in other places. In other places. I agree with you on that. Well, I agree with you. Definitely thank you for your time. I'm going to give you the floor. Um, any last words of wisdom for our, anyone that's out there, education leaders or any leaders that are listening, um, the floor is yours to, to say any last words, Steve. Yeah, I, I think I want to go back to the inclusive leadership part and that it's everyone's responsibility to create an inclusive environment, a welcoming environment where we can be our authentic selves. And that, you know, also it's our responsibility to check our biases. You know, there's a rule out there called the 7-Eleven rule, which means that you make 11 judgments when you see someone within the first seven seconds. And so it is our responsibility to hold that accountable to our thoughts and hold that captive. But with that being said, you know, today's world is going to need leaders who are critical thinkers, innovative, but more importantly, accountable. And so when we talk about inclusive leadership and value, you know, it is our responsibility to create that space so everyone can go and grow and develop and be what they authentically need to be. And so I'm grateful that you have allowed me to be here. Uh, this was a great conversation. I could talk about this for hours, but, uh, you know, I applaud what you all are doing and I applaud your leadership and, you know, please uh, continue to do great things in the world. Awesome. Awesome. I definitely thank you. My, my last words for uh, many aspiring leaders, get into the room. Get into those spaces. Um, networking is huge. Learn. Get a mentor. You know, you can reach out to me for sure. Um, get a mentor and, and, and also learn as much as you possibly can. For those people that are leaders, become students of the people that you are um, working with, you know, and then learn and, and grow with them. Learn the artistry of leadership. <clears throat> it's not one dimensional. You have to be multifaceted and, um, and, and be an innovator and, and don't be afraid to take chances as well. A couple of housekeeping things before we close out here. Don't forget, November 5th, we are partying with a purpose down in Atlantic City, Little Water Distillery. We are raising money for cancer awareness. 100% of the proceeds are going to uh, cancer research. Um, this is a 90s throwback hip hop and R&B party. Come party with us. More information will be coming out about that soon. Um, also, we have our Thanksgiving drive when by the time this podcast come out, where we're giving turkeys uh, to the community. Um, make sure you check us out with that. And we are also doing our toy drive slash fundraiser for CHOP, the children of CHOP. And as you know, here, we only do things that have affected the people that we know. Um, obviously, cancer is really um, an important topic in our empowerment 
a prospective community, as well as children. So that's why we do the things that we do. And just be on the lookout of the things that we do across the, the year. Um, don't forget, American Cancer Society, we also ride our bikes from Philadelphia to Atlantic City. So anybody want to join the team next year, I think that goes down at the end of May. So you got time to, to get ready and get your body right for that one. So, um, you know, if it's not with us, make sure that you um, take the time and help others um, and be, be an asset and a blessing to others. Um, but just like always, stay empowered.